Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of our all-stars and Joshua generation students who are here today. Father God, would you protect their hearts and their minds in a world that seems to be growing only so darker and further and further away from you, I pray, Father God, Lord, that they will hear and receive with gladness the good news of Jesus Christ, not the good advice of Jesus Christ, but the good news of what Christ has done for us on our behalf. And Lord, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray uh, that we would elevate our eyes and uh, focus uh, upon you, uh, upon Christ Jesus, Uh, for all areas of our lives. We thank you so much for our uh, leaders who are here today. Uh, Thank you so much for our church. Thank you so much for all and every good and perfect gift. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in a series called uh, God's Big Story uh, for the past couple of months, I believe. And the catchphrase that we are using By now, you might be sick of it, but the reason why we're going to use this uh, catchphrase is to kind of of teach us exactly what the main thrust of this series is all about. And the catchphrase is this, the story that you are in is the story you live out. The story you are in is the story you live out. And I think that this is true at the universal human level. All of us here uh, does this. We live in and live out whatever story we deem to be the most beautiful, the most valuable. I remember like 10 years ago, I knew this little girl. I think she was about like 
eight years old, something like that. But her parents wanted her to become a doctor. And so you know what they did. I, I didn't know that this existed, but the parents put her into like an elementary medical school. That is wild. Um, so she knows all of the medical terms, all of the things to kind of prepare her for medical school. And so what is the story that her parents are living in and living out? Well, it's a story of medicine, uh, the doctor, uh, you know, being in that medical field. There's nothing wrong with that, but it only proves my point that whatever story that you are in, you're going to live out. I just had a, a, a wonderful lunch with a, a group of our students from JG and, you know, just asking them, what do you want to do when you go to college? What do you want to uh, major in and whatnot? You know, whether that be, you know, business, uh, computer science or engineering, education, law, medicine, they choose out of their own desires, like everybody here, right? You choose based upon whatever it is that you value. And if you want to live out the story of optimizing, uh, you know, systems, then maybe engineering is for you. If you uh, value the story of education and educating and uh, reaching out to the next generation, maybe education is for you. I don't know. But whatever it is that you value, that's the story that you are in. And that is the story that you live out. Now, there's nothing wrong with this inherently. But I just want to let you know, from the Christian perspective, human beings, me included, everybody here, we're not as innocent as we think we are. Because all of us are impacted by this one word called sin. Sin is us breaking God's law you know, uh, twisting it, mutilating it, uh, changing it in one way or another. And the reason why we do that is because sin makes us selfish, self-seeking, self-centered, focused on me, myself, and I. And from this, many of us here today, we live out, or excuse me, I should say we live in, and then we live out the story of individualism, individualism. Now, there's nothing wrong with being an individual, but well, th- there's nothing wrong with being an individual because, you, you know, what's an individual? You're a person with thoughts, opinions, and intrinsic value. That's good. But in our generation today and in our culture here in the United States, individualism is widespread and it teaches us to overemphasize our wants, thoughts, and opinions. Having wants, thoughts, and opinions is not the problem. It's not necessarily inherently wrong. But again, it's an overemphasis of these things. And as a reminder, from the Christian perspective, sin does impact and influence our thoughts, our opinions, our desires. And we can actually see this um, happening everywhere. You go on Facebook and Instagram, and it doesn't matter if the, the, the posts are Christian or not, you see that everyone has something to share. Everyone shares their wants, thoughts, and opinions in the comment section, regardless of whether they should or not. And some of the wants, thoughts, and opinions are so, so strong that they actually begin to trash anyone who goes against what they deem is valuable. And so you can find almost endless toxic uh, comments in the comment section of whatever posts you see online, but this is not just an online issue. This issue is affecting all of us constantly, and it's impacting us so much that I think that you and I 
have a really difficult time knowing that we're actually being impacted by this. As a pastor, I get to see, you know, um, so many good things and wonderful things, but also on the flip side, so many difficult things and to hear difficult things as well. For example, like you guys have friends and I hope you guys do. And imagine just being in a group of like five to eight friends and you guys are so tight. But later on, you discover that there's a chat group without you. And you realize that in this chat group, it exists because they don't want you in there. (laughs) And they don't not only want you in there, they want to create this new chat group because they want to talk about you in unflattering ways. Now, if you're in that chat group, there's no problem, right? Because you're not being hurt in any way. But just imagine for the person that is being left out. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about gossip and slander, which is a common symptom of our individualism that we see here today. It's all about what I think. It's all about what I want. It's all about my opinions. It's about me, myself, and I. And if you bug me or bother me, I will trash you. The same thing that you see online. And many people can forget how valuable it is to take the time to pause and think. If you're taking notes, number one, is what I am about to say or write even true? Is what I am about to say or write even true? Is it an opinion? Is it just how I feel that day? Or is it actually true? And you might say, heck yeah, it's true. They need to hear the truth. They're terrible human beings, et cetera, right? Then the second question, is what I am about to say or write good? Is it good? Is it designed to build up and encourage? Is it designed to point others to Jesus Christ? Or is it designed to point others or maybe even yourself towards the accusations of sin accused by Satan. Or number three, uh, or not or number three, but also number three, is what I am about to say or write useful? Is it useful, right? So is it true? Is it good? Is it useful? You know, whatever I'm about to say to my friend, my dear brother or my dear sister, and especially if you are a Christian and you are about to trash a non-believer, just think about the eternal consequences of doing that. Is it true? Is it good? Is it useful? And then number four, finally, is what I am about to say or write, said or written in a loving and encouraging manner. By these four uh, you know, criterion, we can see whether or not we are really being influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ or by the gospel of the world that preaches and teaches individualism like no other. Instead of taking the time to pause and think about these questions, individualism provides a faster approach to engaging those around us. But you'll notice that individualism only factors the motivations of one's heart. I'll do or say whatever I want or feel. Don't tell me what to do. The heart wants what 
it wants. And you know what's so scary about that? The heart wants what it wants. You can justify anything. And I see it. I see it in the, you know, my explore page of all of these influencers with such strong opinions about men, strong opinions about women and their value and their worth and what they're good at. All of these opinions about men, you know, not being great or whatever. You see all of these strong opinions, all based upon what? The gospel? Certainly not. It comes from this sentence, the heart wants what it wants. I want to say this, so I'm going to say it. This is coming from my desires. And here's the thing. The story of individualism tells us that you and I are most free when you and I are just ourselves. When you're yourself, you are most free. But young people, listen to me. Who are you? Do you even know who you are to say, I am most free when I am myself? Just wait. If you think that you know who you are, just wait until you reach your quarter life crisis, your midlife crisis, uh, whatever other crisis that you have. And you're like, who am I, God? What do you want me to do? I'm so lost. Woe is me. Who am I? You see, the story of individualism has failed you and it's failed me and it's failed this entire country. I was looking up a, a credible uh, poll called the Gallup poll. In 2020, 48% of Americans said that they were happy. In 2021, from 48, it dropped to 41% said that they were happy. And it's based upon 29 different metrics. Now, this year, Across those same 29 different measurements, only 38% of Americans say that they are happy or satisfied. And we live in the most individualistic culture ever. But we're not any happier. But more than this, I want you to know, and this is really hard to hear, but we must hear this because hearing this is good news. I want you to know something. God is not happy with us. God is not happy with the direction of our country. God is not happy with our individualism. Why? Why is that? Because God's big story is so much more beautiful than the story of individualism. Because God loves us so much, he wants us to know, hey, you're living for such a small story, the story of me, myself, and I. Would you like to live another story, a story that God and God alone has authored for you and for me? But you might say, you know, Pastor John, what other choice do I have? Everybody is doing this. Everybody's just living for themselves. I don't want to be the stupid one. I don't want to be the foolish one and just live for Jesus while everybody's living for money and power, popularity or whatever. What alternative do we have? Well, here's the thing. Brothers and sisters and friends, you are right. Apart from God, there is no other alternative. But we see in God's big story that God says, you're not the alternative. I am. You see, we've learned so far uh, in creation that God created the world and us. He created the world with the power of his word. Just think about that. He spoke it and it came to be. 
So the very first thing that we see in this world is not matter. We see information. And this information points to an information giver, this genius that we cannot even compare to. And this incredible God has orchestrated all of this beauty and this, the laws of gravity and physics, the mountains and the skies and the birds and even you. He created all of these things. And he said it was so, so good. It was very good. And he created us in his image. Now, when he created us, he said it was very good. And I want you to know what very good means. It means that you are beautiful and that you were created with purpose. I want you to know that you are beautiful and you are created with purpose. I want you to know that. Repeat after me. I am created. Beautiful. I am created purposeful. You see, it's not because you want to major in engineering or business or law or science that you are beautiful and that you are purposeful. It is because when your creator made you, he made you that way. You were created beautifully and purposefully. And from Genesis chapter one to two, Adam and Eve enjoyed this perfect life-giving relationship with God and with one another. I mean, it was truly, truly happy. A hundred, not 48% happy. I'm talking about a hundred percent, 150% happy with God. But in Genesis chapter three, Satan tempts Adam and Eve to rebel against God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And how does Satan tempt Adam and Eve? You see, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God created and he said, everything is good. It was all about God's perspective. He created all of these things and he said, it was good. This is good. The, 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 the light is good. The water in the skies and the water below, that's good. The land and the vegetation, all of that is good. The luminaries, the sun, moon, and stars, all of that good. The birds and the fish, all very good. And then the beasts of the land, very good. And then when he created you, very good. But Satan says, well, what do you think? Who cares about what God thinks? And ever since Adam and Eve fell, you see in the scriptures repeatedly saying that humanity, mankind just did whatever they wanted to do. And we see that today, that mankind does whatever we want to do apart from God. So this is where we are. We are struggling. We are toiling. We don't feel right in our own skin. We have insecurities left and right. It's not because you're not educated. You're in one of the most education-filled uh, uh, states in the, United, in the United States. It's incredible. It's not because you're not talented or you're not gifted but it's because of this one word, sin, that reigns in our hearts. And God says, I am not pleased with this. And it is not God's fault. It, there's no problem with God saying, I am displeased with your sins, my sins. 
That's why in Romans chapter one, starting at verse 21, it says, for although they, humanity knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what did God do? When humanity said, God, I don't care about what you think. I don't care about what you declare as good or what you declare as evil. I'm going to take control. So what did God do? Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Man, this was uh, written so long ago. But you know what's so crazy? We see this happening today. I was on uh, Instagram and an interviewer was interviewing this older gentleman and said, what is the value of a human being versus that of an animal? And you know what that older gentleman said? The gentleman said, they're the same. Dogs and human beings have equal rights. And so the interviewer then responds by saying, so if if I'm drowning and a dog is drowning, who are you going to save? Guess what the older man said? The older man said, well, that depends. Are you a vegan? And the interviewer said, uh, no. The older gentleman then says, I'll save the dog. That is the world that we live in today that we just read in Romans chapter one. Now, how does this happen? Well, in our passage, it says, therefore sin came into the world through one man. And who's that one man? Adam, Adam. And so because of Adam, death spread to the world. And when we say death, we're not just talking about physical death. One day, unless Jesus comes back, I will physically die and you will physically die as well. That's sure, that's part of it. But there is something else. There's something else. There's a relational death. There's a relational death that we die because we relationally no longer have anything to do with God. Just imagine that illustration of, let's say you found out that there was a group chat amongst your closest friends, but you're not part of it. Why? Because they don't want you to be part of it. They want to talk trash about you. That's a relational death, right? I really am so sad that if, you know, you've experienced that. And that's incredibly painful. But there's a final death as well, that there's an eternal death. That for those of us who do not trust in the good news of Jesus Christ, there is an eternal death waiting for us. So let me, let me, let me t- break it down to you this way. Imagine if the, the walls uh, and the ceiling just collapsed on us right now. I think about that scenario from time to time. And I, right before I, you know, preach, I think about that scenario because I I don't want this sermon to be about man's wisdom. I want this to be the good news of Jesus Christ because only the good news of Jesus Christ can save us. But imagine if the walls and the ceiling just collapsed on us and we died 
today, where would you be? Where would you be? Some of you might be on your phones. And then you know that uh, Instagram, uh, the, the, one of those reels where you're doing something, uh, I don't know, something maybe dangerous, and then like a split second later, you're like in heaven. You know what I'm talking about? That's like the scenario that I'm describing right now. Imagine if something collapsed on us and then we die and we're in heaven or we're at the gates of heaven and God says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Well, you know, Jesus, if you gave me some time, I would have gone to UVA. Well, Jesus, if you gave me a little bit more time, I would have made six figures. Well, Jesus, if you gave me a little bit more time, I could have made more friends. And then you begin to realize the foolishness of it all, that we have lived in the wrong story and we are living it out. Brothers and sisters, sin came into the world bringing forth this kind of death. But Paul tells us God gave us a free gift, something that you and I did not earn. Right? Some of you guys have jobs, and what do you do? What do you receive after every two weeks or you know, every week or once a month? You receive a paycheck, right? But God says, or in this case, Paul, he says, what God gave us is not a paycheck. He gave us a gift, a gift, something that you and I did not earn or deserve. He gave us Jesus Christ, who takes our place upon the cross and dies for our sins. But he doesn't remain dead. He is raised again on the third day, conquering death, shame, sin, all of that, including Satan. And this good news is such good news that God says, you must now respond to it. If you respond to it in faith, you will receive eternal life. But if you respond to it in unbelief, you will receive eternal condemnation. And God is saying, what are you going to choose? What are you going to choose today? Because tomorrow is not guaranteed. We don't know what's going to even happen in the afternoon. Who knows? We're going to go to a turkey bowl. Maybe there's a car accident. I don't know. Thunder, lightning strikes you. Who knows? What are you going to choose today? This is the opportunity that God is giving to each and every one of us. Now in verse 20, it says this, you know, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Brothers and sisters, would you consider with me, if you are not a believer, that you would place your faith in this Jesus who gives you this grace, who gives you this gift, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have thought, that this Jesus can make you as white as snow. That when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see death, he sees life. That when he sees you, he sees and says to you, oh, this is very good. Because the blood of Christ now covers you. Because the blood of Christ covers you, you are, as it says here, justified. 
You are justified. And what is justification? It means that you are pardoned of all of your sins. You are forgiven and forgiven indeed. And you are now counted as righteous in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So at this time, brothers and sisters, friends, I encourage you to not only hear this good news, but to receive it with gladness. Some of you might be like, well, Pastor John, I'm already a Christian. What does this matter to me? You see, when the gospel becomes real to you, you begin to realize this is the story that I want to live in. No longer the story of the world where I become my own savior, but this is the story that I want to live in where Jesus is my savior who offers to me grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And that grace transforms me to become more like Jesus. And because Jesus suffered and he died upon the cross, but he was raised victorious. What about you, brothers and sisters? Will you not be victorious as your Lord and Savior was victorious? Some of you guys are going through terrible hardships, pain, and you feel like this sermon has nothing to do with you. But can I ask you a question? If Jesus' goal for your life is not so much that you get into a university or a college of your choice, but that Jesus wants you to be like him, who is truly happy regardless of the circumstances. He wants you to be like him. God wants you to be like Jesus. Then we have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus go through? Jesus went through far greater rejection than just being left out of a chat group. He was rejected by the world. He was chased after. His life was threatened. He was rejected by even his own family members. He died upon the cross. He went through all of these things. And he was victorious. But again, God wants you to be like Jesus. And God wants me to be like Jesus. And if God wants me to be like Jesus and God wants you to be like Jesus, and we know that Jesus was victorious over all of these things, then we can confidently say, Lord, whatever it is that you have for me in my life, let me go through it with you. Whether that be rejection, whether that be pain from the loss of a family, whether that be pain through not getting into the school of your choice, family problems, whatever that may be, I know, Lord, that you are working this salvation in me that I can become more and more like Christ Jesus, where my happiness is not dependent upon my circumstances, but upon the way in which you see me, upon the way in which you and I will be together forever.